BMW has an ambition, and it's a big one, to become the most sustainable car company in the world. But to find out how achievable this goal really is, we've invited author, activist, educator and climate optimist Anne-Therese Gennari to go on a journey into the heart of the BMW universe to investigate for herself. And I have plenty of questions. Ready for the title? Go for it. <clears throat> Welcome to Chasing the Greenest Car, a BMW podcast. Beautiful. Thanks. Chasing the Greenest Car, a journey with BMW. Episode 6. How do we create a positive social impact? Hello, I'm Anne-Therese Gennari, and I'm going on a journey to find out what BMW are doing to create what they call the greenest car. The world is obviously facing a climate emergency that isn't going away, but I am what I like to call a climate optimist, which means I believe that the best way to improve the future is to face those challenges with a positive attitude. Adopting the right mindset emboldens you to take action. And while it sounds like BMW are taking action, I still have a million questions. And I'm not just going to take their aim at face value. There are a lot of challenges to overcome, and I have no idea what the car of the future should look like. Or even if it should look like a car. Or even be one. On this journey, I will hopefully find out. Today, we are in the I-4, heading to our first stop, which is the campus at BMW Welt, Munich. And I'm going to be finding out about the whole idea of social responsibility and how that factors into building the greenest car. In a world where people and cultures are increasingly connected and, as a result, face new social challenges, it is more important than ever that global companies recognize and embrace their social responsibility. With a multinational workforce and locations on five continents, targeted sustainable commitment is an integral part of the BMW Group's identity. Without it, creating the most sustainable car isn't possible, because social sustainability goes hand-in-hand hand with sustainable production. But what are these responsibilities? What forms do they take? And what are the challenges to come? Let's find out. On arrival, Antares headed up to the second floor of the campus at BMW Welt. Here, children, young people and families can discover the city and the mobility of the future interactively, whilst also taking a look at more than 100 years of automobile history. Today, however, there were no children about, but Antares did manage to find Milena Piggy, head of corporate social responsibility at the BMW Group. What does sustainability mean to you and to your job here at BMW? Uh, for me as a person, sustainability means uh, making my contribution with uh, small actions like uh, coming to work uh, with a bike or buying vegetables, fruits, uh, they are not in the plastic bags. And for my job is um, 
considering that sustainability is based not only on environmental protection, but is also um, focusing on people, people working in the company, people um, living in the communities where we operate, and people also working along our supply chain. Because in many ways, sustainability is about more than just saving the environment. I fully agree with uh, what you say. Sustainability is about planet, but also humanity. And we, as uh, as a company, we are part of this humanity. We are part of the community. And that's why we, we have to take care also of this aspect of the sustainability as well. So if you were to describe social responsibility in your own words, what would that be? Social responsibility means driving social impact. And when also we approach new projects or new partners, we always look into the program and we want to be focused, we want to be long-term engaged and really to measure the impact of the programs. It's not about the quantity of activity, it's about the quality, what we achieve with our social responsibility activities. So can you give some examples of projects that you are working on right now, on the ground or elsewhere? Yeah, we have developed, for example, we have developed educational programs at all our locations worldwide. And because we think that we can make a really big contribution by investing in the next generation of young people, our focus is more on STEM education, technical education, because our topics we are familiar with. And what we do is really to work with partners. We don't see us as sponsor of, let's say, foreign or projects that have been already created. We want to co-develop with our partners' projects and really be involved from the beginning in the development of the projects on the program. And when, when it's possible, also we involve our associates in making part or be also part of this program. And bringing in the youth really is so important, especially when it comes to sustainability, because I feel like young people today are so aware of the issue and they're so passionate about seeing change. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's a lot to learn, too, from the younger generation. Is that something that you feel in your work? Yeah, I feel it is, and I think we are in the, in the right location here in the campus, in the BMW world, because the campus is not really, let's say, a school for the young people. Yeah, they can learn, um, but we can learn from them, and I think that we really have to consider the young generation as uh, like st- young stakeholders. Uh, we can learn from them a lot, and when I participate in such workshops, I have to say that I learn a lot from them. They me. I think that uh, what I see nowadays is really a lot of young people, but even then uh, social entrepreneurs that have great ideas. Uh, they are really creative. They are passionate. Sometimes uh, what they miss is uh, a little like this uh, strategic approach or business approach. And that's why we as a company can also support them. We can empower them with our skills. To what extent Do you feel social responsibility is important for helping BMW becoming the most sustainable car manufacturer in the world? 
social responsibility is essential for the BMW Group to become the most sustainable car manufacturer of the world because as sustainability, as said before, is not only dealing with environmental protection, is also dealing with humanity. And if we consider the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, we see that they are focusing on planet and humanity. And we need both. We need also to take care of our planet, but we also have to be responsible to work for a united humanity, many cultures, one humanity. And this is, I think, important for a global company as the BMW Group to follow this path. Despite the sky turning a moody grey, Antares decided to meet her next contact outside in the park. I mean, she is a climate optimist, I guess. Niels Heimers is Sustainable Supply Chain Manager at the BMW Group. While Niels lives in Munich, he was recently on the road in Jarkand until shortly before our recording, where many villages have no internet or telephone, and typically even no electricity. He also spent two days in New Delhi to workshop with the Kailash Satyati Children's Foundation, a grassroots organization addressing the serious problem of child labor and exploitation in the mica regions of Jharkhand and Bihar, and officially signed BMW's agreement with the foundation. BMW has a goal to be the most sustainable premium car manufacturer. What are you specifically doing to achieve this goal? Building the greenest car has not only something to do with uh, low emissions over the life cycle of the car or using a good energy mix uh, during the production of the car. It has a lot to do with the design of the car, the production of the car, the life cycle of the car and having a, as low as possible environmental footprint. But on top of that, and I guess the most important, is that we have socially um, accepted impact uh, since we are like a globalized company, an international company with building more than... 20 to 30,000 parts into our cars, very complex machinery, we have an impact. We have an impact globally on, on countries, on societies, and we want to make sure that there's no negative impact bound to this. So, I feel like <laughs> the more people I talk to at this company, I'm starting to realize what a complex mission it is just to create a car to begin with, but then only all the aspect that goes into that, especially if you want to be ethical, sustainable, socially sustainable. And... We're actually lucky to catch you that you're here in Munich because you were just traveling. You were in northern India, mm. in Jharkhand, and without any real infrastructure, internet or telephone, so definitely different from most of us are used to. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your journey and what you were doing there? So we were actually in Jharkhand because most of the mining for the raw material that I'm personally responsible for, mica or glimmer, is happening there. And it's happening under, you know, mostly very questionable conditions because it's um, officially illegal to mine this material in Jharkhand and Bihar. And this is why it's kind of an illicit space. So this material is um, mined in artisanal mining and small-scale mining by mostly very low castes. The caste system, unfortunately, is still existent, even though it was abolished in, I guess, in 1950. And those low castes, since they suffer from extreme poverty, they have to kind of build their livelihood somehow and they, they go into the grounds uh, to mine this material, mica, and um, yeah, oftentimes people are hurt and um, are, you know, dying in those, in those mines. As mentioned in episode one, in the context of lithium mining, artisanal and small-scale mining is mining conducted independently and often by hand. 
Minerals which come from artisanal mining require special risk mitigation measures against potential human rights violations that go along with the principle of engagement before disengagement, which entails providing support on the ground to improve livelihoods and working conditions. This support includes providing fair salaries, workers' health and safety, and zero exploitation of the most vulnerable, only to mention a few. One essential criteria of this principle is that, instead of withdrawing from these areas and leaving those communities behind, or taking away their livelihoods by neglecting the region, BMW Group instead takes proactive measures to engage with and improve these local conditions in the mining regions. And this is why we went there, this is why we wanted to, um, or why we intend to start our project. We actually signed a contract in New Delhi four weeks ago with a, with a renowned um, NGO called Kailas Satirati Foundation. And we actually go on site into 20 villages um, of Jharkhand and Bihar states, both states, um, to improve the livelihoods and the working conditions for those people. Um, and also building alternative livelihoods, making sure that people are more secure, people get education. And, um, you know, one of the side effects and very important side effects of um, mining this raw material, mining mica, is that um, it's affected or it's linked with child labor at its worst forms. And, and by providing education and by providing the linkage to a social care and social security, by preventing child marriage and everything that's involved in those projects, we make sure that child labor in this sense doesn't happen in, anymore. It's a wide problem. It's a widely distributed problem in overall of India, but in the MICA space, it's, it's very specific and it's very dramatic. So we want to take our responsibility that we have as a car manufacturer using a lot of MICA in our cars um, and take this responsibility and making sure that we follow not only the law, um, but also our responsibility. Um, there's the principle of engagement versus disengagement and improving the livelihoods of the people over there so that they are safe and secure. It's important to point out that mica is the umbrella term for a group of sheet silicates, only some of which come from artisanal mines. Others are derived from industrial and certified mining processes. However, as most mica worldwide comes from India and Madagascar, where artisanal and small-scale mining is prevalent, BMW Group takes every precautionary measure to prevent risk and take responsibility in the sector. Therefore, BMW proactively goes on site and joins initiatives, such as the Responsible MICA Initiative or the Responsible Minerals Initiative, to create awareness of the subject and to improve those lives instead of simply hoping that its supply chains are not affected by the illicit trade of MICA. BMW Group is convinced that every business that consumes MICA should take a proactive role and actively contribute to the establishment of a fair, responsible and sustainable MICA supply chain. So I must admit, I have no idea what MICA is. And maybe some listeners feel the same way. Do you want to tell us what is MICA? I actually brought some MICA to you, okay. um, which you might find fascinating. We just took this from our trip okay. um, four weeks ago. And it looks like a rock that's also plastic sort of mixed with glass is how I would describe it. It looks very funny. It's actually a sheet silicate, so it's a mineral. And um, it actually has a unique characteristic, or it has many unique characteristics, which make it invaluable for many industries because between you see like a shimmering material here, and you see I, with my fingernails, I can break these sheets because they are bonded very loosely. So I can use very simple tools to break these sheets apart. And then they become this, which actually feels like plastic and it's completely transparent. 
and is a very valuable product for, for many, many um, industry. It's heat resistant, it's inflammable, it's uh, dielectric. It's actually an all-round material for, for many industries because of all those qualities. It's resistant uh, to acids, it's flexible, it's super resistant material. And this is kind of refined into certain intermediary products. And from this you can also do color pigments, which go into cosmetics or also into car paints, for instance. So at car, in cars, it's the exterior you're looking at? We're looking at many applications. With this particular piece that we are holding here with Muscovite, we're looking at car paints for the pigments. So everything that you see like in a, in a car paint that's kind of having the shimmering effect, mm. it's usually mica. Um, you're looking at electrics and electronics. You're looking uh, even as like a filler or balancing material for plastics. But mostly in the electronics and the electrics industry is the biggest consumer of mica worldwide. The main areas of mica application in the automotive industry are typically car paintwork, thermal management applications and insulation materials. Minor quantities are also present in reinforcement films, ceilings, adhesives and coatings, as well as in a variety of electronics components. And like the sheet I'm holding right now, if you yeah. just gave it to me, I would say, oh, this is an old piece of plastic that someone dropped on the ground and has been sitting outside for a little bit. That's kind of what it looks like. It looks like I plastic, would definitely yes. say it's plastic. Yeah. But then if you look at the bigger granite or whatever, it almost looks like this beautiful brown rock. When I learned about mica initially, I was also not familiar with this raw material. And I got infected because I saw the first documentary about mica. And the first documentary showed like you know, those mining sites with kids all over the place. Also their, you know, their, their personal peers, mothers, fathers, uncles, whatever, the whole family, it's a whole family game. Everybody goes there to try to dig out as much as they can. And those kids start going with their parents on those mining sites in the age of from three onwards, you know, like wow. three years, four years, five years old, they start going there. Of course, they're not going down into the red holes, but they are collecting the waste mica, the scrap mica that you find on the surface. They collect it and they sift it through to, you know, to make it valuable to the market and to be able to sell it. But they do this also in temperatures of 40 plus degrees Celsius with absolutely no sun protection and um, nor any equipment. Again, barefoot, they have their hands cut, their feet cut, they have muscular pains or diseases, you know, like they're like in the earliest age because they're doing the same work all over again, seven days a week, 10 hours a day. Other specific risks associated with obtaining raw mica include human rights abuses, the violation of labor rights, corruption and trade with material from illegal mines. Measures taken by BMW Group to address these issues include comprehensive risk assessment, supply chain transparency and the enabling of direct suppliers in the tendering process, with an active request for them to join the responsible mica initiative and or the Responsible Minerals Initiative. BMW Group is an active member of the Responsible MICA Initiative, which is a global coalition to establish a fair, responsible and sustainable MICA supply chain in the states of Jharkhand and Bihar that will eliminate unacceptable working conditions and eradicate child labor by 2030. So what do you see for opportunities, having been there and experienced what they're going through and also having the ability to help people can you give some concrete examples of what is a more ethically sustainable mining experience that can also scale and, and actually continue to provide the world with mica, but in a way that doesn't exploit people? There are so many factors of the mica business. 
also dependent on the country that you're looking at, whether you're looking at uh, northern India or whether you're looking at Madagascar, Nigeria, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, many countries having the same problems. But of course, India and Madagascar being the largest exporters, you cannot just change everything. And the least thing that you should be doing is withdraw yourself from those supply chains. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, if you dry out the supply chain, if you cut off a link to the supply chain, you will ultimately only harm those communities on site. Mm -hmm. Because they will be left alone. They will lose their only source of income. And there's almost no alternative livelihoods there. Also because of the fact, again, that the central matter is education, you know. Most people, they are literate. You have to help um, improving the living conditions there and the working conditions there and making sure that those conditions are the most appropriate as possible. But also, of course, you know, using the power that we have as an automotive manufacturer, as a downstream company of the supply chain, along with our entire supplier network, with our direct suppliers, with the sub-suppliers, meaning their suppliers, to using this leverage to um, have a leverage on the political side of things, you know, making sure that the right legislation comes to place on our side of the ocean uh, or like in Europe, um, as well as on the Indian side or on the Malagasy side, you know, like um, politics have to change and the most vulnerable people, meaning kids, meaning low castes, meaning poor people who have nothing else, need to be more secured and um, need to be included into society and need to be recognized. And on the other side, you can see that nobody pays much attention to them and nobody gives them a chance. They are born poor and they are born with like the lowest privilege possible into this life and they're not giving a chance from the get-go and this cannot be the case. And this is where, you know, like we have as an international or multinational company, where I go back to the beginning, you know, sourcing raw materials, sourcing parts from all over the world. Why do companies exist? Companies exist to provide livelihoods. Companies exist to provide prosperity. And we are not only there to provide prosperity to Germans or Europeans or, you know, people selling those cars or buying those cars. It has to go equal. It has to go balanced. And it cannot be that we sell our cars here with a certain margin and on the other side of the planet in some countries people who take out the raw materials necessary suffer from hunger, from malnutrition, from starvation, from, from low to non-education, all on our dime. And this is where everybody, you know, like in all industries is affected, not only automotive industry, or cosmetics industry, chemical industry, plastics industry, military, everybody has to step up to the plate and participate, take over responsibility, join initiatives and making sure that this prosperity is, is distributed equally, at least in a way that proper living wages you know, are provided to those people and um, that nobody has to suffer because of a luxury product. And this is also what it means to build the greenest car, the most sustainable car, to provide individual mobility on in the most sustainable way, to making sure that you have this positive impact and not a negative impact. That's what it means for me, at least. After parting ways with Niels, as I expected, those moody clouds burst and the rain came pouring down. But the script is the script and Antares Genari is a trooper. So rather than flee indoors, she stuck to plan A and met with her next guest outside. 
This lucky person was Vanessa Buchberger, Senior Expert Sustainable Supply Chain Management. Unfortunately for her, the BMW Fitz entrance has a pretty big canopy, so it wasn't too bad. So what does sustainability mean to you and to your job here at BMW? So for me, sustainability is really the search of a compromise between human activities, but on the other side to try as much as possible not to, to influence the planet and the human rights. We cannot uh, live without human activities. We need them for well-being, for our life in general. But we must really be careful not to, to have too much influence on the other side. So BMW's goal is to be the most sustainable premium manufacturer. What are you doing to achieve this goal? Yeah, so our goal is to have the most sustainable supply chains. So we try as much as possible, especially for critical material, to go to the origin, to look at the condition there, at the ESG criteria, environmental, social and governance topics. And we are working uh, on a risk-based approach. So we look where are the biggest risk and are looking for mitigation measures and taking action to improve all this. Can you give some examples of what supply chains you are looking into and that we may not be thinking of actually exist mm -hmm. in the production of a car? Yeah, so I'm a um, specialist in organic materials. So we have in the car few, but we have some materials coming from the nature or from organic uh, origins. So it's a case for leather, for example, or for natural rubber. So these are the two main organic materials in the car. So beside this, we have a lot of minerals and uh, coming from extractive industries. You mentioned rubber, which is one of the mandatory basic materials for car tires. Why is this material so problematic to procure? You need for a tire approximately 40% rubber. Half of it for a passenger car is synthetic rubber and half of it is natural rubber. And natural rubber is really coming from the tree, from the rubber tree. It's tapped every day in the morning by smallholders and um, you get a very small quantity of rubber every day. And at the end, it is really uh, the condition to have a tire. It means the condition for mobility, actually. And worldwide, we have more than 8 million smallholders working with natural rubber, planting natural rubber and tapping natural rubber every day. So it's really a very important commodity worldwide for the mobility, not only for cars, also for trucks or for planes. And so it can't just be artificial rubber. It has to be some percentage natural rubber. Is it because of the quality of the tire or it just doesn't work without that piece of it? Yeah, it's because of the quality of this material. It is really specific. Even with a lot of research, it was not possible to replace totally the natural rubber through synthetic rubber. So we need, because of this quality of the materials, you need it in the car. So are there any alternatives? Because Ferdinand mentioned that you're working on the FSC certified tires, which to me sounds incredible. I've never heard of anything like it before. Do you want to speak a little bit more about this? Or is this something we're going to be seeing soon? Or what are the potential hurdles or opportunities in that field? 
So FSC is a well-known certification for forestry, actually, at the beginning. Uh, but because the rubber tree is uh, growing in a kind of a forest plantation, so it's possible to certify natural rubber plantation with the FSC. But it's not an easy task, especially when you work with uh, smallholders. So it's, uh, it's not really easy to implement a certification for smallholders. So after a lot of efforts, we managed um, with the collaboration with our suppliers Pirelli, we managed to, uh, to bring the first FSC tire on the market. So we have FSC certified natural rubber and also FSC certified uh, Ryan. It's another material of the, of the tire. So it was the first time in 2021 that uh, an FSC certified tire went on the market. So where does this rubber come from and what are some of the challenges in procuring it to begin with? So rubber is, is very specific. It uh, grows only in very limited region. So it's actually it's around the equator belt. So it's uh, growing only in this region because of the weather and the condition there. But the challenge is that in this region we have still big forests. It's in Indonesia, it's in the Congo Basin in Africa. Uh, so we have very big forests that have to be protected and uh, we must uh, really take care of the environmental conditions there. And also the, the other challenge is that, uh, as I said before, the uh, rubber is, uh, is growing or is, is planted by smallholders. And these smallholders are sometimes working in difficult conditions in, in these countries that are developing countries. Uh, so we have to look at how they are working and that everything is fine with these people. On that topic, end of last year, the BMW Group, together with Pirelli and the BirdLife NGO, launched a three-year program to improve the living conditions for these indigenous people. Can you tell us a little bit more about this program and what BMW are doing there? So um, it's a project that takes place in Indonesia in the Yutan Arapan uh, Restoration Ecosystem Concession. And this is a big area of 100,000 hectares that is in the end of BirdLife International and their partners since um, almost 10 years now. So we started last year a common project with uh, the company Pirelli and with the NGO BirdLife International that is a sub-project in this big area. And our aim is really to work for deforestation-free natural rubber supply chain. So we have a big program in place. It will last for three years. And we are working on several components in the project. We are working to protect the forests. We are working to support the local people there, the local community. We are also uh, strengthening the natural rubber supply chain with uh, providing some trainings for the natural rubber um, farmers, but also bringing more um, transparency in the supply chains. It's very important. And on the other side, we are looking for more engagement of, uh, of the women there. So women empowerment program is uh, in the, as one component of the project. And it was also very important for us to support BirdLife um, with the biodiversity monitoring. So we have, for example, camera uh, that are in, in the forest trying to look for tigers and gibbons. Um, so the target here is really to get to a monitoring of these endangered species. Women empowerment 
female smallholders, uh, educating girls in schools is a big part actually in, in reversing global warming and, and you know, spearheading this, this fight against climate change, if that's how to put it. Do you feel like being able to do these initiatives actually helps strengthen that goal of helping women take stand and, and become leaders in their communities and, and, and not just help biodiversity in their own communities, but actually the world at large, because these areas obviously are so essential from a biodiversity standpoint and also from the fact that these forests need to be protected. Do you feel like there is an opportunity here for companies like BMW to step in and actually help in that environment? Our target here with the project is really to, to try with a pilot. We have, we have a strategy, a common strategy with our partner, so we try with this pilot. And I think, for example, for the women empowerment, we, have, uh, we will set up trainings uh, in order to, to help these women to take leadership. And we can see with several examples that you may have some really very interesting and, and uh, engaged women that can come out uh, of these uh, activities and, and then further than for this pilot project, maybe in the future have the ability and the tools to go further and to, to work not only in this region, but maybe for, yeah, in another framework. Someone is so part of reshaping the supply chain and having, you know, having an ability to make some of those really cool decisions. How do you feel about the future? Are you optimistic about the future? Are you excited about the future? What are some thoughts that you feel that the world is heading towards? Yeah, I think you cannot do this job without being optimistic. <laughs> but I mean, I think I am realistic. It's not everything is going well, but I'm really sure that each little step is important. So, and this is why I'm optimistic, because if everybody is doing a little thing, and, and next day, another little thing and so on. So everybody can take its own leadership and, and take its responsibility to, to improve everything. And we need a lot of improvements. I think it's very important. Yes. You are what I would call an optimist in action. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> For the day's final interview, a change of location was needed. And what better location to ask for than BMW headquarters itself? This high-rise corporate HQ was constructed between 1968 and 1972 and is one of the great landmarks of Munich. The tower consists of four vertical cylinders, which is why the building is also known as BMW Vierzylinder. And yes, while to you and me it may look like a giant set of hair curlers, it's actually meant to represent four cylinders of a car engine. Which I suppose makes more sense. Anyway, she was here to meet two very inspirational people, BMW colleagues Sabrina Kohlbeck and Jakob Hamer. Jakob works in the Better Development Department, working on state of health functions for batteries. And Sabrina works in the Controlling Department. But they also work together. So we're sitting here with two people that we were really crossing fingers to be able to catch because they're busy and doing amazing things. So thank you for being here. It feels cool to have two people on the podcast together right now. So do you want to just share the story of how you come to work together? We met in 2019 at the BMW Internal Accelerator where uh, employees are able to kind of work on their projects, on their own ideas for the company for um, about 12 weeks. So you get um, some free time from your regular job, you get some mentorship, 
um, and also a bit of money <laughs> that you can play with. And we took part in one session that was called Business for Purpose. So what can BMW do to help millions of people? Did she say that properly or do you have anything else to add to the story? <laughs> no secrets hidden. No, that's, that's correct. How the accelerator works is you pitch ideas, typically as a team. I think Sabrina went in there with a slightly different idea, different team. I went in there also with a slightly different idea and a different team and somehow neither of them worked on their own. <laughs> Um, and we were then just kind of sitting together looking for a team and then a cool idea and somehow this really came together more spontaneously and I think it worked out really for the better that way. And this resulted in Power Up, which is empowering social mobility. Give us some more insight into what this amazing project is all about. Uh, so we first sort of took a look at uh, what does BMW have that offers the biggest potential to do good in the world. Uh, we tried to combine that then with where's there really the biggest need and what might come together. Uh, we sort of immediately thought, well, batteries are quite cool. We build a lot of them. On the other hand, a lot of people don't have energy uh, around the world. So that was really our original concept, uh, sort of guiding light is, well, we know we're very good at batteries at BMW. Uh, let's see if we can't also be good at providing energy outside of um, the automobile industry. And so there we looked around for where could we potentially put our first uh, stationary battery into operation. And that's kind of how we came up with the opportunity in South Africa to install our first stationary battery for a school in Rosslyn near our, our facility, our VEAC plant. Yeah, near our BMW plant, near our BMW yeah, plant. where we already have a cooperation with the school. So um, I think that's one of the most important things that this also kind of helps to, to foster education. On top of that, I think one of the main things um, that we think is important is that this is also pushing renewable energy. So yeah, you can have that battery, you can have that storage system, but it, it goes forward with a solar array, it goes forward with um, wind turbines, whatsoever. What do you want to combine with it? So for anyone who has no insight, what, what does this mean for a school, for a community? Is it just one battery? Is it multiple batteries? Mm -hmm. Or how much power is it actually that we can do? And how many lives can we help from this simple, simple but yet very complex yeah. project? Um, for this pilot project, we're using six plug-in hybrid batteries from X3s, as they are also X3s are also produced in South Africa. We can basically power the school day and night, so about 100 lights, a water pump, and the computers that they have at that school. Um, so that's pretty cool. And 500 students. So uh, one school, 500 students, their computers, their lights. Everything they need. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one thing we definitely discussed in the beginning phases is what can you really support with energy? And to me, education is so critical to everything. We don't often know what is best to really support. If it's a business, if they should build iPhones or whatever else, we, we can't really say that. So rather, let's support education and the people there best know what to do with that energy and everything in the end. 
Um, so that's why I think we really like schools focusing on that. We've also had contacts with some hospitals. We also find that quite a nice uh, solution to support. We can't produce batteries for every uh, household that needs energy, but I think if we stay focused, we can still make quite a good impact. And we do have an impact there, especially because in South Africa, they suffer from power outages every day, like two to four or six hours even at the moment, I've mm. heard. Um, and that energy is from fossil fuels and also very expensive as it's a monopolistic uh, supplier. So whatever they're saving from energy costs now, because the sun just provides it <laughs> and our storage system, <laughs> um, they can use for, for books, for additional computers and like this, they can help themselves afterwards when they, when they know where to go. So the pilot project starts at a school this year in South Africa. If this succeeds, what are the next steps? I think that one thing we really would love to happen is that BMW establishes a process for evaluating which batteries we can use for these types of projects. As we mentioned, there's probably a limited number we can use, but the need is there, and I think also the availability of batteries is there. So once we have shown that this process works uh, exactly like we're doing in South Africa, Then we can roll it out to then other schools uh, around the globe. We always have connections in Chennai uh, with uh, our plant in India or San Luis Potosi in Mexico. And I think that just using our global network at BMW with our resources, we can start addressing the needs one by one and see how quickly we can't scale that up. So as people who really work in the intersection between corporation and community and who are, who are on the front line of empowerment in a way because you are like really hands-on with this project what makes you excited about the future for me it would be that i have the feeling that it's now time people finally realize it and if there's more people pushed towards the same goal i think we get there even faster and that makes me really excited and that's also what we feel in the project everyone's super excited and um, really thinks about the next steps and integration and into regular processes. So um, we haven't seen that in the beginning. It was pretty tough for us, but now, yeah, it's getting accelerated <laughs> um, a bit easier, and that makes me really excited. Anything to add? Well, you agree with everything she just I said? I think she said it way <laughs> better than it. I could. <laughs> The search for the greenest car is a search that is taking place right now in reality. But it's a search that begins in the imagination. What is the greenest car? How does it look? How is it built? What goes into making it and what happens to it after? Take a moment to think about the future. These will be built by people uh, treated with respect, fairly, People that enjoy the same rights whenever they work, either for our company or for our suppliers. It's a circular car with a plus, so um, it's getting developed in the most um, sustainable way. But whatever is in between, whatever can be used in that development process or afterwards, and especially batteries, we would like to have this as an add-on with social responsibility and kind of have it as a, as a plus. Yeah. <laughs> every procurement made, every button clicked, every target reviewed must account for 
the impact, whether it's being a negative impact or a positive impact, it has to account for the sustainable impact it may have or may not have. And it cannot all be about economic growth always. It always comes back to my favorite quote of Mahatma Gandhi, who said, like, this world can provide for human need, but not for human greed. With another leg of the journey complete, Antares was back on the road once more. And she seemed particularly thoughtful. So how is your day looking into social sustainability? It was really eye-opening, actually. Want to hear my top three takeaways? Absolutely. Firstly, it's about so much more than just cars and all the nuts and bolts. It's about people. Every person and community in the value chain has to be considered. And that's the responsibility side of sustainability, right? Well, actually, it's all the same side. A supply chain that isn't socially responsible isn't sustainable. Or at least it shouldn't be, and that's where transparency comes in again. If you can see exactly where all your materials are coming from, right down to your supplier's suppliers, you can't use ignorance as an excuse if people are being exploited down the chain. It sounds like that's leading to your second point. It is, and this was kind of the eye-opening part. Go on. It's the fact that if a company like BMW is sourcing from a country where child labor or dangerous working conditions are going on, the socially responsible thing to do isn't to stop doing business in those countries. Then what is? The socially responsible thing is to invest and change the conditions. You might be a car company whose business is making cars, but when you have to rethink the whole nature of your supply chain, suddenly you're working with communities to support and educate people and bring about positive change. It's a huge thing and a lot of work. A lot of work. Yeah, but the world is truly global now and we can't mistreat the planet and other people and pretend not to see it. It's simply not possible. So it's great to see that people at BMW are having such passion to getting us there. And yeah, it makes me optimistic, but it's still hard to believe it's a set of challenges that still exists so far into the 21st century. And what does that mean for the greenest car, do you think? I'd say it means that a truly sustainable car can only exist when we've changed the relationship between manufacturers, suppliers, and the communities involved in creating it. The greenest car won't just be an end product. It'll be part of a huge paradigm shift. Now that is eye-opening. And I would say still a work in progress. Where are we going next? Well, there's still a long journey ahead to reach the greenest car. And a lot of changes are still needed. Why don't we go and find out what those changes might look like? Ah, at BMW, I believe they call that subject innovation. Then let's check it out.